I'm Jared. And I'm Antasia. And welcome to A Cup of Tea. Everyone's intelligence has been shaped by distinct personal experiences. If you're curious to shed light on both humanity's collective and intimate truths, then have a seat with an open mind and a full cup as we examine reality through the blurry lens of our own individual perspectives. Have a sip while we talk about gun control. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of A Cup of Tea. Glad to be in your presence and I'm joined once again by my awesome wife, Antasia. Hello Steeps, good morning, afternoon, evening, or night, whenever you're listening. Today we're going to be sipping on a really, like, a really hot tea today. It's a really hot topic especially here in the United States of America, which is our country of residence. You know, I know that there's probably some parts of the world where this might be relevant as well, but especially here in the United States for a country that always loves to think that it's figured it all out. For a country that's so established at the top of the world, global power, you know, gun control. This is what this is what we're talking about today because, you know, I, I don't think that any statistics are required to basically to discuss the fact that there is a huge gun problem in this country. There's mass shootings that happen every day and it's been on the rise and, and there's definitely been some issues surrounding guns in the Second Amendment, which if you haven't read the Constitution is basically an amendment that grants the right to bear arms openly to citizens. And, and there's just been a whole tug of war between the two parties and people based on, you know, how far is too far, right? What, what do you have to say about this hot tea for today? This is a topic that I'm very passionate about and I've always kind of had the same stance on it. And it's just, as time has gone on and on, it's just become very apparent that this is a problem and for years i feel like america as a whole has just tried to slap this band-aid over this huge wound that just keeps bleeding and bleeding and bleeding and we just keep applying more band-aids and now the box is empty and we're still bleeding and so now we're really trying to figure out okay maybe we should actually suture up the wound instead mm -hmm. of keep wasting money on these band-aids and so that's just an analogy that i use and i think it's just time that we really took a look at what gun control means and not the political view, like what it actually means and ways that we can solve the problem and just even just addressing the problem in general and, you know, calling a spade a spade instead of really trying to sugarcoat the problem that we do have here in the United States. What I'll say to that is I loved your analogy. I, I would actually go a step further and say this is an issue where the wound is fresh it scabs over and then you scratch the scab off and then it scabs over again. And it's just a cycle to where now we've left a scar yes. on this nation because there's just been so much scabbing. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous, truly. But, you know, my wife is absolutely correct. We're, we're not looking at this through a partisan lens by any means. You know, we really want to look into the, the psychology behind guns in America. And of course, we want to also wrap up with what does it look like to be a responsible gun owner? Because in the interest of having a bipartisan approach, we're not going to strike down the Second Amendment, but we're not going to prop it up either. You know, we're going to look at the pros and cons of guns and 
how that there's some positive applications, but then, you know, there's consequences and there's responsibilities that you have to take with them because it's a huge responsibility. It's a way bigger responsibility than driving a car and driving a car is dangerous and everyone does it. So if anyone listened to my last episode on vaccines, I talked about how there's a risk involved with everything you do in life. Well, you know, owning a gun is another one of those things that you just take a massive liability, whether it's things that you think about or not. But of course, uh, we'll get into that later. What I want to start off with today is an article from my favorite, the Pew Research Center. And this is called Key Facts About Americans and Guns by Katherine Schaefer. And what I love is that there's eight main points on this article, and all of them have great statistics that I want to dive in with you. And the first one is around half of Americans, 48% see gun violence is a very big problem in the country today. As a matter of fact, they have a list here of all the major quote unquote political issues in the United States. Gun violence currently ranks fifth, only behind illegal immigration, violent crime, federal budget deficit, and the affordability of healthcare, which is number one. And mm -hmm. of course, that could be a whole nother episode in of itself. But does that strike you as surprising at all that it's that top of mind for both parties? Yes and no. Um, it doesn't surprise me that it's in the top five of the list, but it's also surprising that it's fifth instead of second or third. I would think it would be placed at, but that just goes to show you the people's opinions on it. It's either, there is no in-between, I feel. I feel like it's either, you know, ho-ho, this is my gun, you're gonna have to kill me if you want it, versus no. I think they should all go away. And then the, I won't say middle, but kind of the gray area is the like the, well, eh, I don't want one, but you know, I can see their use or okay, they're pretty useful. I guess I would have one. I just, but I feel like the polarity is what puts it fifth. Like I said, I think it should be up a couple more, but at least it's up there because, mm -hmm. you know. Well, there's definitely polarity. You're absolutely right. Looking at this graph, which I will have this link in the description, of course. But if you look at it, look at all of the other political issues that rank in the top five or even just below gun violence. What you see is the moderate group is much larger, usually somewhere between, you know, I'm looking here, numbers between 29 and 36 percent, right? Have, say that it's a moderately big problem. With gun violence, we only have 24 percent that say it's a moderately big problem. And a greater proportion say, 22% say it, it's a small problem. All these other issues that are ranked near the top of the list, like the highest is 19% and the lowest is 11% saying mm -hmm. it's a small problem. So clearly you're right. It's like, you know, the moderate category isn't there as much when it comes to guns. Mm -hmm. It's very polar opposites. Like people are either like, don't take my guns, you're gonna have to prime for my dead hands or... Like, please take all of them. Yeah, let it, them all it, there's go. There's no in-between. Exactly, yeah, there is no in-between. And I feel like that's majorly from how guns have been politicized now. Because, again, it's almost, you know, it's pretty, almost cut and dry. If you are touting a gun, you know, people might think you're a conservative. If you are like, no, I'm okay, I'm anti-gun, people might think that you're democratic. Mm -hmm. And it, that could not even be the case because there's people on both sides that float back and forth and so but you just these types of graphs just you kind of know who voted for what hence you know just the striking polarity between the two right 
And that brings me to my second point, which is, I, I don't think surprising, attitudes about gun violence differ widely by race, ethnicity, party, and community type. This is absolutely true in the United States of America, which we've talked about repeatedly on this podcast, being a very divided country, not mm -hmm. just politically, but racially and ethnically. If we look at it here, there's a huge proportion of black Americans, 82% that think that gun violence is a big problem. Mm -hmm. Hispanics, only 58% think that it's a very big problem. Only 39% of whites think that it's a very big problem. Mm -hmm. Then you break it down further. People who live in urban areas tend to think that gun violence is more of a problem. 65% say it's a big problem. Mm -hmm. That drops down to 47% for the suburbs. And then rural areas, it's only 35%. So you can see as you start to move out into rural areas, typically conservative areas tend to think that gun violence is less of a problem. Also, you, I, I think it's fair to say that there's also less crime and you know violence with guns that takes place in rural areas mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of like out of sight out of mind right like i live on the ranch you know there's really not much happening here yeah there's tractor crimes out there yeah there's tractor crimes and then the the most striking difference here is when you look at the republican lean republican category all races included only 18 percent think it's a very big problem contrast that with all races for democrat or lean democrat 73% think that it's a big problem. So it, it's just, it's it's completely cut and dry here. There's no arguing about it. Like clearly the statistics show that, you know, white rural Republican individuals tend to think that gun violence and gun control is not an issue. Whereas people of color, people who live in urban, maybe even some suburban areas and tend to lean democratic think that it is a very big problem. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Uh, that I'm not surprised. That's pretty cut clear and dry from our current political climate. Because again, look who makes the decisions that guns are not a problem. White Republicans, mm -hmm. like let's just call it what it is. And so with that type of power, it's very easy to just be like, nope, guns aren't the problem. Guns aren't the problem. There's a, it's another problem, but it's not the gun. And the same type of shootings keep happening with the same type of weapon. And again, white Republicans continue to say guns are not the problem. And you know, now it's this just almost disgusting lie, if you will, that like, you know, it's not the gun, it's the person. And we've heard that for so long. So long. And so it's like, okay, how are we going to stop that person from getting said gun? Mm. Well, we're not going to do that, but <laughs> it's the person. And so now it's just this vicious cycle. And it's sad, but it just seems like more and more shootings have to happen to even slowly close the gap on who sees this as a problem. And it shouldn't have to take that, especially how many we've had up to today, even from just in the past five years. But I, you know, I just don't really know as of right now how this problem is going to be solved. But there is hopes on the horizon that some legislation will hopefully try to aid us, those who believe that is a problem anyway. Hopefully. And this country has taken a beating in terms of mass shootings for some top-notch Republicans to even consider passing gun reform. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I, I really strongly emphasize the word consider because it still hasn't happened yet and we haven't yeah. seen anything. And I, I'm not I'm not an advocate for complete you mm -hmm. know, lockdown gun control, but I'm not an advocate for doing nothing either because in my personal opinion, 
nothing has been the solution for decades and it hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. And to me, if something doesn't work, if you keep doing that same nothing and thinking it's gonna make something happen, you're literally insane mm -hmm. because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting different results. So if we keep doing the same thing, which is nothing, having a total inaction and mass shootings keep happening, maybe there's a bigger problem here. Mm -hmm. And I, I think what frustrates me is that I do believe in multiple perspectives. That's why I started this podcast. I don't believe in one point of view. I believe in, in doing research and, and being able to have a debate on things, but we're not even having a debate. We're just on both sides to an extent, one side more than the other, but I would say both sides are engaging in a type of groupthink where they're not willing to think with the other side. And you know, they're basically just totally closed off to the idea of going to the negotiating table. You know, I, I think both parties could come together and at least like, I think this country just, you know, don't you just want to see some baby steps? Like we're not trying anything to make this problem any better. No, and that, it's, it's just, and that's the enraging part is that we, you can almost predict a mass shooting nowadays. Like, okay, it's been about three months. We haven't had one. So let's give it a couple weeks and one might happen. And that's terrible to say, but it's the truth. And so just the inaction and the sitting on the hands is so disheartening because it's pretty much like we don't really care mm. until it happens to us. And there was an insurrection that could have almost <laughs> happened in Congress. There, and yeah. you know, we have just almost completely forgotten about that. And so mm -hmm. it's just like, what is it going to take for some action? Like who, I hate to say this, but who has to die for this to be like, okay, wow, this has been a problem. At, you know, pretends to be shocked that this has happened for so long. And it's the same exact narrative over and over and over. I could probably write a news article off the top of my head, you know, white lone shooter, you know, kills 20 in a mall. Title of thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers, you know, he gets whatever many years or he kills himself. And then we all just go back to normal a couple days later. And so it's just like, I hate to say it, but it's just this feeling of helplessness for us just literally begging Congress to do something, even to start to get in the works some sort of legislation or start baby steps, just baby steps, making it harder to get guns. I shouldn't be able to walk into a shop, purchase a gun and go be able to go use it that same day. That doesn't work for most government official things that you try to do. And so the fact that people can do that and mass shootings have happened because of that, we got to start there. There should at least be some sort of waiting period, a verification period, just as a deterrent. And I know, you know, the whole, oh, they're going to get them anyway. Yes and no. It's just by making it harder, at least giving that person a chance to second guess their decision is all that we ask. Just make it harder for some people, people who don't need them. That's all that we ask. Right. The traceability is a big problem. You know, there's guns that are unmarked mm -hmm. in there's absolutely no accountability there whatsoever. So there's ways to make like our society safer that wouldn't compromise people's ability to own a weapon. Mm -hmm. And I'll just say this, of course, you know, I don't want to get too much on a tangent, but you know, if, if you're afraid of having your gun stripped from you, but you're a law abiding citizen, like what what really do you have to be worried about mm -hmm. like there's certain types of weapons that civilians should not have like I'm, I, I'm that's just my opinion and you know if you're afraid of having that weapon stripped from you then maybe you should like really reevaluate that 
the what why why, why do does that why does that weapon want to be taken from you? And, and That's the, the question you should be asking yourself. Like why does everyone want my AR fifteen? What could my AR fifteen possibly do? You know, turns on news. Oh, okay, I see why they want to repossess this weapon. Yeah, and the thing is if if you have a legitimate case for owning that weapon, then like people who who think like that need to gather in a coalition and make a real case for why that weapon needs to be available under certain circumstances. Mm -hmm. If there's no argument being made, then what counter argument is there? Just the argument that second amendment, right? I have the right to bear this arm. Okay, why do you need this arm compared to a pistol? Oh, gotta protect my home. Okay, you live in a 1300 square foot home. I think a pistol would do just fine, multiple pistols. Why do you need an AR-15 and you live in the middle of the suburb? Yeah. Why is that? Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. That's just my personal opinion on it, my perspective. So yeah, I mean, it, it, we, we've laid it out there. You know, obviously we know that there's a problem of gun control in this country. We know that it's very divided politically and it doesn't have to be that way. Obviously, we just need to see some kind of progress in this regard. In fact, when it comes to legislation, here I have roughly half of Americans, 53% favor stricter gun laws. However, this has declined since 2019. Going back to what you said about the mass shootings earlier, where like you give it a certain amount of time, X amount of time, and you're expecting it to happen again. It wasn't it also sad how during the height of the pandemic when everything was on lockdown that that was like the safest this country has been in decades and people were literally like it is sad as it is we have to be on literal lockdown to not have mass shootings happen i really think that's affected this opinion of people favoring more strict gun laws although it's it's interesting how it's declined slightly in recent years, maybe because the pandemic is like kind of made people forget about this mm -hmm. a little bit. Like it's it's become a, an issue that's kind of got swept under the rug. Cause I think before 2020 is when we had, you know, the Vegas shooting, mm -hmm. the Pulse shooting. So all these shootings having you know, Sandy Hook before 2020 that were really groundbreaking and, and, and shaking. And then obviously COVID happens mm -hmm. and now everything's just about global pandemics. So what what do you make about that? I can see the decline because again, like you said, we were all in lockdown. We couldn't go anywhere, you know, you know, May, June, height of the pandemic, oh my God, COVID, we're all gonna die. And so I think now we're all like, okay, you know, we don't wanna be told what to do anymore. We don't want to be forced to stay home. And so now it's like, now that the legislation is starting to come out, like, okay, we might impose stricter gun laws. People hear that and they're like, no, 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 no. I already did this. I already, I just did my time for COVID. And mm -hmm. now I don't want you to try to hold me back from something else now. Wow, now you wanna tighten up my gun rules after I just have to sit home for a whole year from your government rules. So I, I can, see I can see the rebellion now because that's just human nature. You, you know, you give a little and then you're like, I'm done with like, I don't wanna do it anymore. So I could see now that things are opening back up and in the height of the pandemic, guns and ammunition sales soared. So mm -hmm. again, now people are like, well, I just bought all this. So no, you're definitely not gonna, right. you know, tell me what to do with it. So, like I gotta use it yeah. somehow. So, so I completely, I see why that's the way it is. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, it's, you know, gun ownership has been on the rise. Obviously 
the focus on stricter gun laws has declined as a result. Up until 2020, we were seeing a steady increase in favorability for stricter gun laws. COVID kind of took us backwards in the other direction, but obviously it's because of these factors we talked about, less mass shootings, more gun ownership, especially more people owning a gun for the first time that are mm-hmm. maybe a little more ignorant, maybe haven't really educated themselves to be like, I can confidently say I'm a responsible gun owner. Like they just kind of feel like, I look at it this way. When you own a gun for the first time, I wonder how many people are tempted to just kind of either self-educate or mm-hmm. just kind of give themselves like the self-imposed confidence rather than actually making themselves go through the required training or practice. You know, it's kind of like think about how some people that when they learn how to drive, some people take it way more seriously than other people. Some mm-hmm. people learn how to be a defensive driver. Some people really work on going to driving school or educating themselves driving with somebody who they consider to be a good driver. Mm-hmm. Other people that literally just, I'm like, okay, I, as long as I can pass the test, yeah, you I'm know, good. Meet the bare minimum. 18 years old with a Hellcat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, doing whatever you want to do out there. Yeah. So it, it's crazy. But, you know, I, I, I get this, though. I, I think that definitely more government involvement in anything right now is a scary thing because we were just on lockdown. Mm-hmm. So when people hear government involvement with you know employment and the labor market government involvement with infrastructure government involvement with gun safety like these are all things that you know even for some democrats might be a little triggering because it's like we were just told by the government and the cdc to be on lockdown for x amount of time and and some people just you know they they think that you know their lives are being consumed when really it's you got to look at from the big picture perspective and realize that these things aren't happening to inconvenience you. These things aren't mm-hmm. happening just to affect your life. Like th- these things are happening because on a broad scale, there's a problem. There's a problem with COVID. There's a problem with gun violence. There's a problem with poor infrastructure, with a poor labor market. Mm-hmm. And these issues need to be fixed. And clearly the private sector isn't doing enough. And clearly the market isn't just gonna fix itself. Like everybody always says it's going to. Like. You know, there sometimes there's intervention that is required. A hundred percent. The next point I want to talk about is Americans are divided over whether restricting legal gun ownership would lead to fewer mass shootings. So about half of adults, 49% say there'd be fewer mass shootings if it was harder for people to obtain guns legally. While about as many either say this would make no difference, 42%, or that there would be more mass shootings, 9%. So in terms of the effect on gun control over mass shootings, it seems like almost a 50-50 split. Either it's all yes, it will have an effect, or all no. However, the public opinion on gun control for crime overall is, interestingly enough, split in thirds. Mm -hmm. A third of people say if more people own guns, there would be more crime. A third of people said if more people own guns, there'd be no difference in crime. And then another third say that if more people own guns, there'd be less crime. So it seems to be kind of split in thirds when in terms of mass shootings, it's only split in half. Half and half. Yeah, I've heard the both sides of this story. And so, you know, okay, situation A, we restrict gun ownership. Let's just say we go, you know, balls in, we restrict them all. And there is the counter argument that says, well, they're still going to happen. They're still going to get guns off the black market and go shooting and la-di-da-di-da. And while that's true, 
Restricting the gun ownership will not take the gun count to zero. We know that, that's not what we're saying. Again, we're just trying to make it overall a little bit more challenging for those who do not need guns. Those are who are irresponsible, have mental illness, previous crimes, whatever, whatever. That's who does not need the guns. Mm -hmm. And so those who oppose the restrictions kind of always have the same imaginary thought that the the good guy with the gun will save the day. Let's Mm -hmm. give more people guns because good old Tom (laughs) in the back row is going to save them all from being shot. And that's that doesn't happen. And I wish it did. I wish that that logic made sense, but it doesn't. And that's why we're really not getting anywhere. And that's why it's kind of almost, it's pandering by saying that because mm-hmm. let's let's look at the mass shootings. Let's see who was that one good guy that saved the day. Oh, that didn't happen because he was shot. And so that it's, I'm sorry to say it, but that's not gonna happen. It's a very, very small percentage of people, just people with plain day clothes who've stopped crimes, not even just mass shootings, crimes, you know, a bank robbery, a movie theater robbery, whatever, gas station who pulled out a pistol and, hey, hey there, brother, don't do that. They walk away, cops come, whatever. Mm-hmm. But mass shooting wise, talking to these, you know, hearing interviews from these survivors, no one said, oh, this guy pulled his AR-15 out of his pocket and stopped him. That didn't happen. So we need to let that narrative go and just really, instead of trying to be on the defense about it, just possibly open up your mind and say, okay, maybe taking them away would be a solution. Because again, it's just this magical one guy's gonna save the day is not gonna happen because odds are your one gun you have against the person who planned this mass shooting, they're gonna have quite a few more than you do. So I just don't see that happening. And now you're also putting yourself involved with the police because now you also have a gun. So if they get the call, there's a shooter, they're not gonna ask you, hey brother, are you here to save the day? Oh, no, <laughs> there you got a gun, so I'm gonna right. shoot you too. And again, it's just, we're, we're spinning our wheels here, trying to avoid the problem, instead of just, you know, opening up the book and really taking a look at it. I, I don't find it surprising that the mass shooting statistic is more polarized than the crime statistic, mm-hmm. because people are very passionate about the mass shooting issue mm-hmm. when it comes to gun ownership because I think more people say it would not make a difference because they're trying to justify having the existing framework in place because exactly. they don't think like they don't think that these mass shootings warrant changes to gun policy because mm-hmm. they find it overreaching. I find it equally interesting that more people, you know, a third of people say there'd be no difference in crime if more people own guns because, you know, they're more apathetic, I guess, because these are just normal day-to-day crimes, right? But, you know, it's funny, you mentioned that there's a very small percentage of people that actually save the day with Mm -hmm. a weapon. And there's been equally as many people, an equally small percentage of people that have literally disarmed shooters without a weapon. Mm And we've seen it before and it's it's crazy because so it's it's basically like what's your counter argument now that you have just as rare of an occasion that somebody actually shows up with a weapon knows what to do and saves the day is somebody that literally just acts on instinct risks their own lives mm-hmm. without a weapon and still saves the day exactly it's it's just shows you that you know i'm not advocating and saying you know okay conceal and carry is bad and you know, I, I do think that, you know, right place, right time, if you practice gun ownership responsibly, you can make a difference and you can, you know, potentially stop something bad from happening. But 
to an extent, right? I mean, like you said, there, if someone's showing up locked and loaded, what are you really going to do with the pistol or exactly. something? Like, it's what just, are you going to do? Unless you're trained in combat and, and strategy and know how to execute a plan that could potentially help the situation without framing you, making mm -hmm. you look like part of the crime. It's just a very loaded situation. No pun intended. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so the next point is there's broad partisan agreement on some gun policy proposals, but most are politically divisive. That doesn't surprise me one bit. So there's parts of gun reform policy that seem to have bipartisan support. I'm only going to highlight a few of these. One of them is preventing people with mental illnesses from purchasing guns. Mm -hmm. Both Republicans and Democrats strongly support this. And it's a no-brainer, right? Of if course. you're mentally deranged or, or not fit to have a weapon, you mm -hmm. should not have a weapon. Of course. However, the second greatest differential between Republicans and Democrats on gun control is banning assault-style weapons, aka AR-15s. That that one is the one that gets me because again, when I look at the list, it always makes me sick to my stomach because if you look at the list of just the last ten years worth of mass shootings. What is the number one weapon on that list? It is an AR-15. And again, like I could walk in a store and purchase one. That is terrifying. And it's like, why don't we want to ban that specific gun? Because a pistol, we all know, a pistol is not gonna go and kill 45 people. It will jam because it's not meant for that. But the right. AR-15 is, you could take out 45 people in a couple minutes. And mm -hmm. so scary. it's terrifying and it's, without going way too deep down the well, again, we know the organization that produces those and mass distributes those and supports those. And that corporation is in the pockets of those Republicans. That's mm -hmm. why we're not getting anywhere. And it, it's sad that money talks in that instance. Um, and I think that's gonna be our biggest hurdle is really just breaking apart that organization and Republicans can finally have a look without that, you know, blurred, you know, seeing dollar signs and having someone, you know, in their back, you know, in their ear, like, hey, hey, no, you want this weapon to stay because, you know, this weapon just made a deposit in your account. And like, oh yeah, <laughs> no, they're fine. So we all know, we, we know what organization I'm talking about and we right. know why it's not getting banned from, you know, Republicans <laughs> in Congress. That's all I'm gonna say. The greatest difference between the two parties in terms of gun control is actually in terms of allowing people to carry concealed guns in more places. This is actually something that's strongly opposed by Democrats, but strongly supported by Republicans. So, and that's something that, you know, again, under the right circumstances actually seems like a good thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, having a concealed weapon to protect yourself Am I a fan of open carry? No, mm -hmm. I'm personally like, I don't, I, I just think that there's a visceral reaction that comes yes. with seeing someone in a public place with a weapon, but concealed carry, if, if you have to get a license and you're trained and now you can conceal and carry that weapon, I don't personally see an issue with that. Yes, because you've got your licensure and you've gone through the training and you know, you hope that that person has the right intentions with that concealed carry because again you can't really conceal an ar-15 like it's gonna be like okay what you got under that trench coat because you can't just conceal that in your jeans and yeah like you said right. it's a very visceral reaction to just be shopping and you see someone walk in with an ar-15 strapped to their back i'm pretty sure your first instinct is you're going to run and mm -hmm. hide 
whether their hand is on it or not, because again, that's the weapon of choice in mass shootings. And I think everybody would be uncomfortable in that instance. And this person's like, you know, hey, this is my right. I'm just following the law. It's like, sir, can you go put that in your car? Like, that's not necessary here at Sam's Club. You don't need an AR-15. So, yeah, I mean, having, you know, concealed carry put away, what you don't know doesn't hurt you. And if, you know, that person is just sitting in their pocket and they're just strolling along, then okay, that's fine. I have no issue with that, as long as you don't use it. Exactly. And see, those two opposing points, you know, how we talked about how we were, you know, more in favor of banning assault weapons, but also in favor of conceal and carry mm -hmm. under the right conditions, you know, that just shows you how one party strongly supports one and then the other party strongly supports the other. Mm -hmm. But we could see both as being positives for gun control. And that's where I think we need a real bipartisan coalition to solve this problem. The next few points on this article, I'm just going to do a quick breeze through. So we've already covered this. Um, Americans in rural areas typically favor more expansive gun access, while Americans in urban areas prefer more restricted policies. So the one thing I'll say is that there are more policies in urban cities mm -hmm. that restrict gun access, gun use. I could see that that policy difference between those two areas, you know, those two geographies can definitely have that psychological difference. Next up, more than four in 10 U.S. adults, 44% say they live in a household with a gun, including about a third, 32%, who say they personally own one. So I think that that shows you right there that, you know, a lot of people in the United States of America really make the most of their Second Amendment rights because, you know, obviously we see a high percentage of people you know, it's not like 10, 20%, it's 44% of households that have a gun, 32% of people who claim to personally own one. The last point on this article, going right in line with that, personal protection tops the list of reasons why gun owners say they own a firearm. Mm -hmm. So while some people might get it for hunting and, and some people might just get it for gamesmanship and, and wanting to collect a, a stash of weapons, for some reason, you know, I think that a majority of households and individuals get guns for what they're intended for, to, to personally protect yourself mm -hmm. as a form of security. And, and knowing that there's people out there with weapons or could be, you know, potentially subjecting that person to lethal force and, and they need a way to push back against that and protect their own lives. Of course. I mean, that's human instinct to protect yourself and protect, you know, your family. And so that's... A perfect reason you know you can own and should be able to own a firearm to protect yourself your person your family now the type of firearm is when things come into question that's when things get a little hairy because you know for someone who's pro-gun it's like how do you tell me what I you know what's gonna protect me and what's not well there should be some statutes that said so depending on your your dwelling type of home you have maybe family size you know if you live like on a big old ranch with you know wild animals and whatnot okay, a more higher powered gun might make more sense. But again, if you live in the suburbs, 14, 15, 1600 square foot home, family of two, you don't need an AR-15. Like it no. just, you, you have no justification for that. And I think that's what we're trying to get to. But again, you have the very stubborn gun owners who are like, no, it, it's, it's, I get all of them or I have none of them, you know, you gotta take them from me. And so mm -hmm. we're just, this is the pushback and no one's gonna 100% agree on both sides, that's fine. Like, but like you said, we need some sort of 
hands-off bipartisan group to just come in read the rules as they are and make it black and white because i think the gray area is the problem currently because there's a lot of well what ifs and this and that but this you know and all this situational stuff um someone has to put their foot down and just make the rules because clearly like you said doing nothing and just assuming that the smoke will clear and it'll be very obvious it's not working at all no See, I, I think the biggest thing I get out of this article, babe, is that, you know, the United States has a strong gun culture, arguably the strongest gun culture in the entire world. With that comes some positives. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it's a sense of freedom. It's a sense of entitlement to protect yourself for security, empowerment. These are all things that could be positive when used under the right circumstances and considering those circumstances as well, like you said, you know, there's a difference between owning an AR-15 and a pistol, depending on that circumstance, or a hunting rifle or something like that. But it's brought a lot of negatives. It's brought a lot of irresponsibility. It's brought a lot of lack of accountability. Mm -hmm. And then, ironically, it's made people fear for their lives. It's made people feel less secure in this country because some people might think, unless I go out and wear a bulletproof vest mm -hmm. and carry around AR-15 of my own, I'm putting myself at risk by going into a crowd where a lot of these mass shootings tend to happen and, and these high-powered weapons just cut through people like grass. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's sad. It, it really is sad that we have this dichotomy in this country. I feel like I disagree with the liberal approach of saying we need to just completely abolish guns or at least the really strong progressive approach saying we need to abolish weapons but then i also disagree with the conservative approach which is as with everything conservative just keep doing what we're doing we're doing fine we don't need to make any changes in mm -hmm. fact we need more people to own guns well not if they're going to do it irresponsibly exactly. and not if they're just going to do it without any education or proper training or licensure background checks you know whatever it, it is so you know i think we need to look at guns and our gun culture as a potential positive but we need to be able to like pivot off our current situation and see what are the good things we could take away from our gun culture and what are the negatives that we can like turn around and, and make into a positive okay. but obviously when anything becomes a political issue in this country it's it's um it's definitely an uphill climb to get anything accomplished it, on either side it really is and i just i don't understand it because you know again like i just don't understand it usually in american culture when something happens with the same product over and over let's say like you know the ikea dressers that were tipping over because people's negligence and not securing them to the wall ikea quickly recalled those dressers and made them safer. Mm -hmm. They at least put in the box the wall mounting brackets like you need to mount this thing to the wall. I'm giving it to you, you have it. Now you cannot say that it was not provided. And if your kid climbs on this dresser and it falls over, your own negligence. A teddy bear, if the eyes are popping off and kids are choking on them, that company's going to recall them to make them safer and then put them back out in distribution. So why is Gun ownership, the only thing where that does not apply. Like, okay, hmm, the AR-15, killing lots of people constantly. Maybe we should um, take away a part of it that makes, you know, it can kill hundreds of people in minutes. Let's take that rapid fire part out. Let's take, you know, I'm not, I'm not a gun anatomist at all. So let's, you know, remove the nozzle, if that's the wrong word, sorry, 
from, you know, like let's just make it safer. And for some reason, gun owners don't like that. I, and I don't, I don't understand. If you own a weapon that is killing people, the thought of that should be nauseating. And you should be like, oh my God, yes, like this needs to be safer because I don't wanna have this terrible killing machine. Please, you know, take it, do what you want. I'll get it right back. But everyone clenches their guns tighter. And I'm, I just, I don't understand it. I, I wish someone would explain it to me because I don't, I don't understand it. Me neither, babe. But anyways, no pun intended, but I am going to do a rapid fire, if you will, <laughs> the key points that I want to touch on um, before we wrap up this episode with your personal anecdote. This is a page from the CDC, the National Center for Health Statistics, and it's the firearm mortality by state. So this is a map showing almost like a density of sorts of age-adjusted death rates within the population of these states. And what's interesting to me is the most recent data available is for 2019. When you look at it, it's more so conservative states, but even more so rural states mm -hmm. that tend to have a higher firearm mortality, which tells me that, you know, maybe these more rural states have less strict laws mm -hmm. in terms of gun ownership and, you know, practices. Whereas if you look at the states with the least age-adjusted death rates for firearm mortality, it's California, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. These are all very dense, mm -hmm. you know, urban concentrated states. So, you know, that doesn't surprise me at all. And every other state with moderate populations like Arizona, Texas, Florida, you know, those kind of fall in the middle. It's almost like that. restrictions work. You know what? It's almost as if that What is a concept. What a concept. You know, if you want to take a look at this map on your own seeps, feel free to <laughs> have a look at it. But, you know, I, I think this this is very obvious what the, the trend is. And again, this is with existing framework on a state level. So that shows you that if there are certain policies which are put into place in more urban areas to restrict gun ownership under certain circumstances or what type of weapon you can get or background checks, if that's working and, and clearly making a difference at the state level, I think that some broader federal policies could make a difference as well. We've covered some really important things today. You know, we've covered, like I stated at the beginning of the podcast, you know, we, we talked about the psychology of gun culture in America. We looked over some statistics, but I really wanted to just start to wrap up this episode around the theme that we, we kind of touched on this earlier, babe, that, you know, we're not anti-gun, but we're not pro-gun unrestricted. You know, yes. we want to really send a message that we believe in responsible, safe gun ownership. And there's a lot that goes into that. In fact, you actually took a concealed carry course this morning mm -hmm. and you learned a lot and you have a lot to take away from that experience. So why don't we kind of close out this episode, maybe the next 10 minutes or so, and we can have a dialogue about what you learned and what you really took away from that. Yeah, I took this class as a complete novice my stance on gun ownership has changed very recently i was a person who was not anti-gun for people but i was anti-gun for myself and only because i was not knowledgeable of them and i was afraid of them i have i have never held a weapon and again my mind has changed recently because after you know having a daughter and just being you know a smaller woman 
um, and just the world that we live in today. I'm not naive. I want to be able to protect myself, her, my home, my family. And now that I, I just kind of had this epiphany, I'm like, okay, I'm not really afraid anymore. I want to learn. And so I enrolled myself in a class and because I want to be educated in this decision because this is not something to take lightly and something to joke around with. This is serious business and I'm going to take it seriously. And so I took a class and it was the most eye-opening experience. I did not think that this much went into it, but I'm so glad I did it. And I highly recommend it for people who are even teetering the line of, oh, do, I, do I want a gun? I don't know. I don't really know how to shoot it. Just take this, take a, just an intro CCW. You can get a group on, find your local class. Just really good basic rules, knowing your rights knowing the legalities of owning a weapon and you know when to use it. And it just was a lot that I didn't know. Some things I thought I knew where I was like, ooh, good thing I didn't have a gun. And so <laughs> it just was eye-opening. And I feel just from taking you know a four hour course earlier, I feel so much more enlightened. Now, am I ready to go out and pew pew? No, <laughs> but I'm, I want to learn more. Like I'm ready to hop, like I would take another class tomorrow. And so it just, this is definitely a situation where it's like the more you know is the more you know. Like you want as much knowledge about this as possible. Just like when someone's like, I wanna be a brain surgeon. You're gonna go to school, you're gonna study, you're gonna learn everything about the brain, what it does, how to treat its ailments, how to make it better. Like in the same thing with gun ownership. Your first instinct should be, I wanna learn more about this little tiny death weapon instead of just, okay, I got one. All right, let's just, you know, see who pisses me off this day. Like that's not the attitude that you want to have. And so just basic rules of gun ownership, you know, like treat it like it's always loaded. You know, like treat that thing like it could go off at any instance. And my instructor really harped on that. And he just was really harping on just rules. Like there's just, there's basic rules to follow. If you follow these rules, you can save your life, save someone else's life, and you can stay out of prison. <laughs> And just That's be and just be responsible. Like with cars, when you're learning how to drive, your parents are like, okay, you know, don't hit people walking, you know, crossing the street, and pay attention and watch your blind spots, and you know, don't kill yourself, don't kill someone. Same thing with a gun. Like these things are powerful. But we don't emphasize that as much. We with don't. Guns. We don't because we see them glorified on TV and movies, and you know, Bang Bang and Call of Duty, and you know, all this stuff. But these things are powerful. People die every day from just stupid mistakes. And we learned, we saw all these cases of just accident, dropping the gun, shooting it off in the house, like, oh, it must not be low. Not even checking the chamber to see if there's one in there. Kids finding them, kids shooting themselves, shooting their parents. Like it just, it happens, you shooting it off in the sky. Shannon's law, that's a law here in Arizona. You can't discharge a weapon into the sky because unfortunately it, it, that happened once and it came, the shell casing came down and struck her on the head and killed her. And terribly so sad. terribly sad, just stupid things that could just be avoided. And so again, just safe gun ownership is just what I took away from that class. And I just feel like, wow, like I think it should almost be mandatory. Like if you go purchase a weapon, you cannot get that weapon until you pass at least an introductory safety course. Like it's not that hard to make that a mandate. Like. When you go get your driver's license, you have to take a test, right? Mm -hmm. And so you study for it, you practice. You don't just get the license, all right, we'll see you on the road, don't kill anybody. 
So I'm not mm-hmm. understanding why these same precautions are not in place for such a dangerous, dangerous vessel. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to play devil's advocate real quick and say that the argument that is made, right, mm-hmm. mostly by conservatives, is that, well, we shouldn't implement gun control because criminals are just going to get the guns anyways, right? Well, that's like saying that why should someone bother getting their driver's license when they could just drive anyways? Exactly. Which technically, what's stopping a five-year-old from getting behind the wheel of a vehicle? But nothing. Besides not being able to reach the pedals, nothing. <laughs> I mean, Larry, if, as long as you could reach the pedals, you can technically drive. You, you mm-hmm. shouldn't if mm-hmm. you don't have a license, but you can. Like, nothing is stopping you. Just like nothing's stopping you from owning and firing a weapon if you're not certified in any type of way. But... Obviously, there's controls in place that prevent unlicensed individuals, for the most part, from driving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you said, it's like, what's the big deal of of adding a very reasonable barrier like this so that somebody could really feel educated and enlightened? Like, when you told me about this experience, as you even mentioned just now, there's times where if you owned a gun previously, you would have made a mistake. You would have done something that could have forever mm-hmm. altered your life in a bad way mm-hmm. and now you know better and it's like i just wish that people would look at it from that lens and say you know what this is beneficial for me i'm not going to be an ignoramus i'm going to go ahead and challenge myself and, mm-hmm. and not assume that i know everything about guns yes. even if you've owned a gun for the longest time if you've never taken any type of formal or professional training i would highly recommend it because you don't know what the laws are in your state in your country that could affect you, that could backfire on you, no pun intended. Yeah, and exa- and that's really what it was. It's just educating yourself. Again, if you're like, I'm going to, you know, go take up the sport of diving. Are you just going to go jump in the pool face first into, you know, 18 feet of water? I don't think so. You're going to watch videos. You're going to study. You're going to practice, you know, working your way up to that deep water in those long dives. Same thing with gun ownership. You start with classes, start with just an intro pistol. Okay, this is cool. I think I can handle something a little better. You could go a little bigger. You know, okay, I like to hunt. Shotgun training, rifle training, whatever the case may be. Educating. And again, if you're going to own an AR-15, okay. But educate yourself. Educate yourself at how powerful of a weapon that is and what that can do. And if you choose to make a decision that is going to hurt someone else, you need to know, you need to understand what those consequences are. And again, just basic smart gun ownership is just knowing what the rules are. And if you choose to step over that line, what those consequences are and what you're very willing to give up if you step over said line. And like I said, this was an amazing class. I really hope that some sort of legislation gets passed or gets moving or just even talked about that will require at least a basic intro you know you put in four hours Mm -hmm. you know to get at least say i sat down i listened to some sort of instructional information i'm ready to at least own and possess this weapon and then your training you know as you want to elevate in guns your training elevates like okay Mm -hmm. you need certain training for shotgun for you know this rifle xyz that's all i can really hope i just wish people chose to get educated because you know in certain states Arizona included you don't need a permit to go get a weapon you could just walk right up into your local gun store grab one and go about your day and it it, it starts from the bottom up and if we could just really take the time to really tr- at least try to mitigate and create more restrictions and roadblocks for people who don't need weapons 
I think we can start to see some change. I think we can really start to see a decrease in mass shootings and not just be the laughing stock of the world when it comes to this issue that can just be solved so quickly. When it comes to gun ownership and concealed carry training, I think the tax credit is a good place to start, mm -hmm. but it should absolutely be required. Like absolutely. that's not something that should be optional. Like mm -hmm. I think that everyone benefits from this. Like you yes. said, some people always make the argument that, well, if we add more restrictions and hurdles, then less good people are gonna own guns and more criminals are gonna own guns, meaning our streets are gonna be overrun by these, you know, crime driven gun touting, you know, overlords. And it's like, well, that's not really the case here. Mm -hmm. What how, how I see it is we have a lot of people that are inherently good people that own guns, mm -hmm. but don't know how to use them. Mm -hmm. So if we have more people that actually go through a course like what you went through and more advanced training on their weapon, you know, I think it's it's a beautiful thing where we could actually see, sure, there's a few more hurdles in place for these people to get weapons, but once you get your weapon, you actually can effectively use it. And we'll have that good guy with gun narrative, finally. Because mm -hmm. again, you know how to use it. You have that situational awareness. You've been trained in this situation. Okay, I know what to do. And so again, now that narrative that Republicans like to push a good guy with the gun. That's true now because he went through that required training to be able to save and assess that situation. But right now, that's not the case because in a fight or flight response, and you just have a you know a Glock 19 in your pocket, you're not going to go up against an AR-15. You're going to run away with everyone else, and that's just the truth of the matter. Right. And I mean, to me, I'll, I'll just end off with this. Like, I think it's absolutely embarrassing that a country that like the united states of america that just touts itself as being a world leader in like literally everything well first of all we're not a world leader in a lot of things except <laughs> maybe you know like racism and, and mass know, shootings and mass shootings <laughs> and and some other things like that but i mean the the second thing i'll say is just like we encourage people to own a weapon which has so much responsibility and so much weight assigned to it but then we don't expect them to know how to use it like mm. why why is this such an issue like why like you said we can finally have that actual good guy with the gun narrative if we actually knew how to use a weapon exactly like, it's just a very straightforward ask we just want people to know how to use a weapon effectively, mm -hmm. to effectively disarm somebody, not shoot to kill all the time, mm -hmm. and not get themselves in trouble because that's also part of it too. There's certain situations where, like you told me earlier, where you wanna try to disarm, where you know if, if someone's showing lethal force to you, you, sh you can show it back to them. But then there's also circumstances where, you know, if someone breaks in your house and is stealing your flat screen TV, you know, it's not just guns a-blazing. At that point, you know, you can give that person a warning and, you know, let them leave with your TV. But, you know, you call the cops, you let them do their job. But basically, like, it, it, it's, it should not be a shoot-to-kill mentality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think we, we definitely could have some more gun control policies to make sure people can responsibly and safely own a weapon so that there's not people that are just using their weapon irresponsibly that end up hurting or killing somebody that it shouldn't. And then I, I think that the final component is just 
mental health too. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a whole nother topic, of course, but you know, I think that there's also a mental health issue in this country, which kind of only magnifies some of these other issues that are present. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you. I just think it all really just kind of wraps back up to just acknowledging the problem, educating ourselves on the problem, and just really picking apart the layers. How can we make this better? What are just some tiny, it's just the tiniest ripples, you know? Like, what can we put in place to just make it harder for the people who want to do harm? That's that's all we ask, honestly. And in conclusion, I'll say Rome wasn't built in a day. And we're not going to get this right in 2021. I give absolutely a 0% chance that the United States is going to solve this mass shooting epidemic anytime in the near future. Um, it's going to take time. There's going to be pain and discomfort on both sides of the aisle as we try to address this issue. But I think my case is just, we got to try to do something mm -hmm. because if we do nothing, all of us die in darkness. I mean, we could just take a page out of New Zealand's book where they had their unfortunate mass shooting uh, some years ago and the prime minister was like, uh, nay, nay, we will be <laughs> confiscating all of them and you will, we will not have this happen. Not and not here, not in our country. We are not the U.S. And would you look at that? No, no more mass, mass shootings. shootings. It's almost like restrictions work. Like I said earlier, it's almost as if rules work. Because again, you take them all away, no one can do them. No one can do the bad stuff. And you apply the same, oh, they can get them on the black market. Well, let's, how's that going for New Zealand? I don't recall there's been any more mass shootings of, you know, even from guns on said black market. They're living their happy COVID-free lives, by the way. So um, I, I, I don't wanna keep hearing the same excuse that we can't fix it because clearly it can be fixed if you want it to be, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll end off by saying I, I don't think it's just any policy in place that is going to fix this issue. I, I, I don't think that the most restrictive policies are required. I think it's just a matter of tweaking the current system and finding what combination works, like what is, what is actually showing results. And until we actually take action and see like a combination of different policies and practices that make this problem better, we're just going to keep attacking the same issue. And if mm -hmm. we do nothing, we're going to keep facing the same issue. Unfortunately so. Like I said, it just, it's going to be the same vicious cycle until someone has to step in and stop it. I think at this point, we're just waiting to see what that agency or entity is at this point. Just be safe. Educate yourself. If you're interested in the slightest of gun ownership or just gun rules, gun laws, take a course. Go online, read, watch videos, listen to Audible. Like just educate yourself if you wanna be a gun owner or not, or if you're on the side of wanting gun control, advocate, call your local you know, leaders and offices and just, we gotta get some sort of momentum going that we will not stand for this. No more people in social settings should have to die for rules to change. Like we're just, we're tired of it. You know, I think that's that's a great way to, to wrap things up. Obviously, a core theme of this podcast is educate yourself, mm -hmm. enlighten yourself. And we really hope today that we brought you a really diverse and strong perspective 
on gun control and, and, and what that means. And I guess stay tuned for our firearm weapon series yeah. to be continued. Make sure to educate yourself and, and make sure that you make the right decision to not only hold yourself accountable, but to hold your peers and everyone around you accountable because we all are in this together. Whether we own a gun or not, we are in this problem together and we need to solve it together. Thanks for listening about gun control. Check out the description of this episode for the resources we referenced on this topic. If this podcast is your cup of tea, then please subscribe for the latest freshly brewed content. As always, let your thirst for curiosity leave you feeling enlightened.